Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. My God, what have we been through? It's been amazing. Exhausted. Still on a high, still on a high from Postcards from Midlife Live. I know, it was fantastic. We did record this episode before we embraced the magnificence of Postcards from Midlife Live, though, didn't we? We did, but we will have episodes coming up over the next couple of weeks where you will get to hear some of the fantastic interviews and our own personal highlights from the last two days. I think we need to go back and lie down in a dark room again, don't we? Yes, I need a nurse and a large gin and tonic. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness, careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. It's time to get our chat on. Lorraine, are your vocal cords warmed up? Are they primed and ready for this week's episode of Postcards from Midlife? Everything about me is warmed up, Trish. I'm on fire (laughs) this morning. (laughs) It always concerns me when you say you're um, warming up your vocal cords because oh. I'm a bit worried you're going to do one of those singing things and I'm going to have to oh. pretend that it's good and I like it, which is obviously oh. very hard for me to pretend a positive thing like that. Thank you for your honesty on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you. But actually, I'm, I'm not going to sing okay. right now, but I might break into song in a little while because we've got Culture Club this week. Our jibber-jabber, we're going to be jibber-jabbering about the movies music, TV shows, exhibitions, and maybe some other podcasts. bit competitive there. Other podcasts that are on our radar for late spring, early summer, because we're in that sort of in-betweeny season right now, aren't we? Well, yeah, I've got some crackers up my sleeve that I think you're going to love, Trish, and um, stuck to the rules this week. Good. It's hard for me to follow your rules, so I won't be mentioning books because Culture Club is not about books. No. Book Club is about books, isn't it? And that's coming up in a couple of weeks' time. We've got Catherine Heine coming on. I'm quite excited. She is one of my favourite authors. Uh, But this week, what are we both wearing? Silky blouses. (laughs) Weirdly, almost the same silk blouse, which is slightly strange. Um, Do you think we're subconsciously channeling our guest? fashion designer Amanda Wakely. And what does she normally wear, Trish? I think you're probably right, because she is always draped in something silky, silky shirts, silky trouser suits, and all that lovely cosy cashmere that she does too. So I've got a fascinating fact for you, Lorraine. Um, Amanda actually introduced me to the Cobb salad. 
Do you know what that is? Well, I can't imagine that you said to Amanda, my fish oil's repeating on me like you just said to me before we started recording this. <laughs> what is a cob salad? I think of Lyme Regis when you say the cob. Oh, the cob. Yes. No, it's an American salad. And it's just basically lots of little chopped up tiny vegetables, but it's all in the way that it's presented. And she took me to this really lovely Mayfair restaurant right. back in the Fash Mag days um, near her store at the time. And she said, well, you must. I said, I don't know what a cob salad is. Well, she said, you must have one. And it was very beautifully presented, almost like in a sort of wheel of vegetables and things. But of course, I dropped quite a lot of these little veggies down the front of my top <laughs> on that particular day. And she, of course, was pristine in her sort of silky thing. I mean, I have to say, I think it's an art form wearing a silk shirt without getting it all stained and messy. Well, yeah, you can generally only wear it once or twice before it's got some horrible oil stain on it, hasn't it? Oh, yes. Also, when you say cob, I think of cob on as well, as in she's got a cob on, which is what my son says about me. She's got a cob on. That might be 1B, C-O-B, do you think? Possibly, Trish, yes. Cob salad, C-O-B-B. Once a chief sub, always a chief sub. <laughs> anyway, yes. I think she'll have some fashion advice with us and it won't be about how to get things off. Your silk blouse, will it? It'll be what to wear in midlife, I think. Um, her story is actually mm. really fascinating because she was one of Princess Di's favourite designers. Um, and she was, mm. well, she designed through the 80s, 90s and, and noughties. Um, but she's been on such a roller coaster recently because during COVID, her business shut and her brother died as well. So it's been quite a journey for Amanda. And we wanted to talk about what she's learned from that so we can pass it on. She's about to start what she calls this sort of second act, as, as we all do. So it'd be good to get some learnings from her. Yes, I can't wait to meet her because it's been a while since we caught up. But before we get all cultural and fashion-y, we thought we'd have a quick chat actually about testosterone, didn't we? Because we're noticing lots of posts and comments on the Facebook group about taking it alongside HRT. Yeah. There's kind of queries about the types of testosterone available and why. Some GPs will prescribe it and others won't. Yes, I did an interview with uh, Dr. Louise Newson at her book launch. Um, she's just written the definitive guide to the perimenopause and menopause. And there's, some, there's, a, there's a lot of talk of testosterone in that and lots of information. But it was three questions. So I thought it's quite interesting, isn't it? It is something that women are talking about mm. now. And you wrote a feature recently for The Telegraph. So we should ask you in a minute what you discovered there. And we have talked on the show before about taking testosterone as part of your hormone replacement therapy. So you take estrogen, progesterone, and you could take testosterone. So we both take something called Androfem. Uh, we're prescribed that privately by a menopause GP, and we get our estrogen and our progesterone from our NHS GPs. But we have to see a private GP for Androfem because it's the only version in the UK that's actually made for women and the NHS don't prescribe it yet. But we're hoping that that's going to change in the near future. What the NHS may prescribe, though, is a formula that's made for men. It's called Testogel and Testim. Uh, they have to be used in a very specific dose, uh, which we need to be sure that you understand and follow accurately when you're prescribed those. So what did you learn, Trish, when you were doing your piece? Yeah, well, I spoke to a number of experts for this feature. And one of them was Dr. Paula Briggs, who's a consultant at Liverpool Women's NHS Foundation Trust. And she's also chair of the British Menopause Society. Mm. And she said, well, the first thing to understand is, um, you know, when you're thinking about testosterone with HRT, 
Testosterone in women actually starts declining much earlier than perimenopause, so usually in our 30s. So it's not that it's fluctuating like estrogen and progesterone does in perimenopause. Yeah. It's already kind of quite low. But the thinking is that by the time we hit these turbulent 40s and 50s, it could also be exacerbating symptoms, the fact that we've got low testosterone as well. So that's the first thing to understand about testosterone. But what she says as well, that if you're using too much, you know, if you don't get the dosage right, mm. and that's why it's particularly important if you're prescribed one by your NHS GP called Testostogel or Testim, that you really, really accurately follow the dosage and don't experiment with it. Because if you use too much and your levels of testosterone go too high, it can change your vocal cords, it can actually permanently change your vocal cords, and it can also put you at risk of heart problems. And, you know, she was saying she often sees women in her clinic, you know, we're at that life stage, we're so busy. We might go, yeah, 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 when they're talking us through the instructions, but it's really important yeah. that you follow them. And if you're not clear, check in with your GP. And the reason that some GPs won't prescribe um, testosterone is that it's not currently licensed as a treatment for women in the UK, but many private and NHS healthcare professions will prescribe it off license. Now, this means that while there isn't a license for its use, it doesn't mean it's unsafe. And there are lots of medications, actually, that doctors prescribe for different things. Um, so, for example, medications for children. So they prescribe it off license, but it's perfectly safe for a lot of migraine medications. It's confusing, isn't it, for women? It's, it's a shame. I think there's a lot more research being done. We had Dr. Briggs actually on the podcast, so it's worth going back into our archives and listening to that episode if you want to find out more about HRT, menopause and sexual health, which she's really good on. Now, talking of sexual health, am I right in thinking that the NHS will only prescribe testosterone, Trish, if you have a very low libido, even though it's very helpful for many things besides that? Correct. Um, that is what the NICE guidelines state at the moment. Um, but even with that, Dr. Briggs warns that testosterone mm. shouldn't really be seen as a quick fix for issues around desire and intimacy. As a consultant, she would always like to explore other factors too, such as weight control, high blood pressure, problems within the relationship, because those are all factors that can affect poor sex drive along with low testosterone. But if all of those things are right and your sex drive is low, then obviously you do want to possibly investigate that further. Um, and she says it's interesting. She said it's often only after about three or four appointments with women that they will actually yeah. then start talking about maybe some of the other difficulties they're experiencing in, in their relationship, because that is, it is quite, well, yeah. it's delicate, isn't it? It's a very delicate area, and you're feeling quite confused and, and everything at this life stage anyway. Well, there's a lot going on, isn't it? And women are, are quite overwhelmed. So many experts and the women that we have spoken to, though, believe that testosterone really helps with fatigue, low energy, and brain fog during menopause and perimenopause. I have to say, I found it unbelievably helpful for brain fog. It was a real game changer for me. I could suddenly start to remember things. But um, NHS GPs still won't prescribe it, will they, Trish? No, they won't. And the reason for that, there is good reason for this. It's because there isn't enough research yeah. into that side of it for its use for women. However, many kind of menopause doctors and experts, uh, such as Dr. Louise Newson, believe that there is clinical evidence to show that uh, testosterone in women can help with fatigue 
give you more focus, help yeah. with brain fog and joint pain too. And the really good news is there is now funding for research into this. So there will be a lot of trials and research happening in the coming 12 months. So I think we're going to kind of see a big change around this whole testosterone area by this time next year, which is really good news. And um, one final thing is that there is also a company that's developing a testosterone patch for women. Um, and that's in trials at the moment too. So watch this space. Yeah, it's all very interesting. I know you're all very interested on the uh, private Facebook group and you've been telling us about it. But as we always advise on the group, please ask a medical expert. <laughs> Don't rely on everything you find out there. Um, often you're just hearing what other people say. And as with all hormone replacement therapy, it's so bespoke, it's so individual and you really do need to uh, talk to an expert. Um, shall we get on with our jibber-jabber now, Trish, though? I think we should. Now, Lorraine, you promised me some fabulous cultural finds. What have you got for me? Now, do you remember I was raving about a podcast uh, series called Sweet Bobby? I yes. found another one in the same vein of Sweet Bobby. It's called Love Janessa. It's a world okay. service uh, podcast presented by Hannah and Jala. Oh, my God, it's amazing. So it's right. basically catfishing. It starts with a man, very, very sensible journalist, you know, engaging on Twitter with someone he meets on Twitter, someone being very complimentary about him. He somehow ends up giving this woman, who's, who doesn't exist, money. Oh, <laughs> So you think, hold on a minute, there must be more to this. And then, and then he realises what's happened and he starts to investigate who she mm -hmm. is. So who is Janessa or Vanessa? So as it turns out, Vanessa is a kind of a, a woman who's been used in many, many catfish schemes all mm. over the world. And what Hannah really deftly does as a journalist is she finds some of the men who've been tricked by Vanessa Janessa, okay. who does exist, who is a real person, but isn't the person tricking them. Oh, and it's, it's so, so Confusing. brilliant. It's, a, it's like a mystery. There's seven episodes. Yeah. And every episode you find out a bit more. But what it also is, it's really a little bit poignant and a little bit heartbreaking because Vanessa Brazil is a woman who was on the internet before OnlyFans. She's an adult mm -hmm. performer um, with quite a hard and upsetting background. They do get to her and talk to her. She's absolutely fascinating. And they also talk to a man who gives over his life savings, an oh, Italian man, right. to one of these schemes. But he thinks oh. he's in love with Janessa Vanessa, but he he's isn't. He's never met. He's never met oh. her. He's seen her fleetingly oh. at an airport. It's such a brilliant, brilliant true okay. story. She also then goes to Ghana to find, uh, they're called the Sakawa Boys. These are groups of men who make the money from the catfishing. Oh, okay. So right. it's got all these threads. It's just yeah. really, really fascinating. And then at every point, you slightly feel sorry for everyone, everyone, even the people tricking. You sort of think, oh, I can see why this is happening. Oh, my gosh, I can see why they're doing this. Yes. I mean, you don't, you do still have in the back of your mind thinking, you know, this is you know, man after man after man being tricked. Yes. But what's really interesting is the picture that they use of Vanessa Brazil is the most used picture in every catfishing scheme. So oh. her picture is on the Internet. And it's used by everyone. It's been used more than any other picture of a woman. So she's this class. She looks a little bit like Kim Kardashian. Okay. So obviously yeah. that's the picture you use if you want to trick people out, men, out of money. <laughs> You've got to look like that. It's, oh a, it's such a web of stories. So you would absolutely Janessa, love it. Janessa, J, but it's pronounced Vanessa. 
it's sometimes she's Janessa, sometimes oh, okay. she's Vanessa. Oh, gosh, this okay. is the mystery oh, of it, Trish. So I'm, interesting you would focus on the spelling, though, in well, that exactly. great big story. <laughs> second time in probably this episode. <laughs> what well, have you think, got for me? Well, it's funny enough, I've got another one that's a podcast that actually is also about how the internet has, you know, taken people down um, dark alleys and into strange places. But it's called The New Gurus by Helen Lewis. And it's basically all about how did we start following all these online gurus and wellness people and believe that they actually have all the answers? It's a silly trick. Not as silly as the catfish people, but we're quite silly as well, kind of being listening oh. to all of this. I mean, obviously, some of it is very genuine, but this writer, Helen Lewis, she's just exploring this whole boom in online gurus. And what really got me gripped by the first episode was that she starts off with Russell Brand. He's now a spiritual influencer yeah. and people love him. And she's interviewing people queuing up outside for this massive big live show that he's doing. And so she starts with that and then she goes right back to actually Steve Jobs and how he as a student went traveling in India and wanted to bring enlightenment back to the US. And a lot of you know what he was doing at Apple was all based around that kind of thing. So it's really fascinating. And she goes through, each episode goes through sort of something different. So not normally my cup of tea, but I absolutely loved that one. It was good. It was very mm. good. So there we are. The crazy internet, what it's doing to us, messing with us. What have you got next? Well, I've got a Spotify playlist for you. Okay. Interesting thing to bring to a culture club. It's the playlist for the movie Air, which is the story of the Nike Jordans. Oh, yes. yes. Out now, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. It's just, it's set in 1984. He's um, in the film and he directs the film, Ben Affleck. The first thing he did before he did anything was produce a 1984 playlist. And it's so brilliant, Trish, particularly mm -hmm. for our generation, for our listeners. You just go back in time. In the, the opening scene, it's probably the best opening scene of any movie ever. So it's worth seeing the movie, which um, is fine. It's got Viola Davis in it as well and Jason Bateman. It's brilliant. It's very fast moving. I mean, there's a lot of men in it. There's only one woman in it, obviously. Um, but the whole point of it is Dolores Jordan secured mm -hmm. the deal she the mum secured the, the deal mom, but every single bit of it is so brilliant the music yeah. is just fantastic i mean i i wanted to i'm going to go and see it again because i just want to hear that playlist again it's got yeah. you know everything shaka khan dire straits bruce springsteen but they couldn't afford to pay for the copyright on all of these songs but they really they're so intrinsic oh. to the story and you'll see when you see the film because they yes. go with all the bits of the scenes of the film so they approached lots of the artists and said, would you want to be part of this? So a lot of them, like Cindy Lauper said, yes, for free, mm -hmm. you know, time after time, isn't it? Obviously, and mm -hmm. she said, yeah, you can have it without paying um, the copyright on it because I really want to be involved in, in this film. film. Yeah. Um, and there are a couple of people from sort of lesser known, well, big country, in big countries in it. And um, there's yeah. a couple of run deals. Oh, I was about to sing. <gasps> no, nope, don't stop, do it. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but there's country. a couple of um, electronic bands yeah. Where they approached them and said, and they said, we just need little bits. Will you write bits for it? Yeah. And they've gone back into their 1984 mindset to write bits. It's really, oh, really brilliant. So I bring you a playlist. Funnily enough, and we haven't checked our notes. We, we didn't collude on this, but mine's a music thing as well. What have you got? The Take That movie. So there's going to be, oh. it's, you're going to hold on. Yes. I'm gripping the edge of the table. I take know. That it's movie. so exciting. So they've made a musical out of all of their songs that was, you know, on stage yeah. somewhere, like they like a Mamma Mia, but with the take that songs. Anyway, they've made it into a film 
or greatest day. Now, wouldn't necessarily be my thing, except that the star is Ashling B. My oh, favourite yeah. Irish yeah. actress, comedian. She was in This Way Up with Sharon Horgan. You, you, everybody will know her. She's so brilliant. And it's also got Jade Adams from Strictly and Dancing. Alma's not normal. Alma's another not one normal. of our favourites. Yeah. And basically, it's about these four school friends who absolutely adored Take That back in the nineties. And then they reunite 25 years on to go to a kind of a, a concert. One of them wins a prize. And it's all Friday, about midlife life Friday story. Trish. It is perfect. It is the perfect midlife movie, um, I would say, for all Who's of Who's your favourite member of Take That? Well, I did quite like Jason. He's Howard. anymore, is he? Howard's yours. Okay, favourite Take That song, though? Well, I really like my fire, I think, maybe. Oh, yes. Or want you back, back for good, maybe. I was going to say back for good. Also, Rule the World. That makes me a little bit emotional when I hear that one. Don't know why, but there All we right. go. That's well, another story. Play it at lunch <laughs> next time we meet. Anyway, I've okay. got some telly for you. Go on, telly one. Uh, yeah. Lesser known, Big Door Prize with Chris O'Dowd. Right. I mention it, Trish, because of the premise of it. It's on it's Apple a game TV. show, is it? No. It's a kind of soft sitcom, mm-hmm. um, but it's got a bit of a, a, a little bit of a twist, a sort of fantasy twist. So in their local shop in America, mm-hmm. a machine arrives overnight, the Morpher machine, and you go in it and you give it your uh, fingerprints and your security number, and it tells you, prints you a little blue card that tells you what your life potential will be. Oh, okay. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And everyone who gets the card... So whether they are going to be this thing or not, it's largely irrelevant to the plot in the way. I mean, it's a bit sci-fi because what it does is it changes their whole attitude to their life and they start making very different decisions, oh, <laughs> being okay. t- having been told what their life potential is. And because it's Chris O'Dowd, it is pretty funny. Right. But it's, a re- it's one of those really nice family things. You can all watch it. It's quite soft moving yes. and it's just a little bit unexpected. We discovered it unexpectedly, actually. Well, when sure I was looking at that because I yeah. think... That there isn't enough Chris O'Dowd on the TV. Moon Boy. Did you see Moon oh, Boy? Oh, yeah, that was lovely. But, of course, yeah. Bridesmaids. I could just watch that every week. Bridesmaids. Still yes. find you to laugh in it. What else have you got for oh, me, then? I've got a little bit dark on the TV front. Oh. You might not like this, but I, I'm very interested in it. It's called A Small Light, and it's on um, Disney+. Plus. Actually, it started streaming now already. And it's basically the story of the woman who hid Anne Frank. She's called Meep Geese, and she was Otto Frank, and Frank's dad's secretary. So if anybody who's read, obviously, the Anne Frank diaries, which we probably all have at some point, will know her as the character. She's the one who actually looks after them and does all of this. So the story is about that experience, but from her point of view. And a couple of the things I love about it, obviously the story, but uh, Belle Powley plays Oh, yeah. She's very cool. She's a young British actress, isn't she? Um, she's been in lots of big American things as well as British things. So she's in The Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. Do you like that accent? I will admit it. <laughs> we don't need that bit edited out. Okay. No. And she's in another one of my favourite films recently, The King of Satin Island with Pete Davidson, which is very good. And then Joe Cole, the British actor, plays her husband. And Leave Schreiber plays Otto Fright. I'm going to be watching that because I like a little bit of series. I like a bit of history and I like all the people in it. So I think that's going to be a winner for me. 
good. Isn't Sounds it? a bit sad for me, Trish. Sounds Too a bit sad because we know you the almost... endings. Yeah, that's true. Things. <laughs> that's true. We do. <laughs> but there's a brilliant. Did you ever see the Matt Lucas? Who do you think you are? No. That's really good because it turns out his sort of great great uncle was in the flat with them with the Franks. I mean, oh, how, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm gone on a tangent. That. There we couldn't are. Couldn't write that. Another one. I've got another little podcast. Quick roundup. Quick, um, quick roundup. What do you just mean a quick, quick roundup? Round yes, just right. a quick roundup. It's really unnerving more. when you do. <laughs> I'm going to be quite quick. Yeah. Roll out a couple of names. Yes, I've got a quick one, which I'll, I think you'll like. BBC Sounds podcast. It's called Chain Reaction. It's not new. It's been on a while. Twenty mm. minutes of twenty-five minutes each. It's celebrities interviewing each other. So the one I think you'll like, Trish, is it's Sharon Horgan interviewed by oh, Olivia yes. Coleman. Oh, very and they good. have Roy Hudd interviewing oh. Alison Steadman. Jennifer Saunders interviewed by Catelyn Moran. I mean, it's really brilliant, actually, but they're just little funny things to listen to. And I must mention that season three of Only Murders in the Building oh, yes. is back. Yes. And Meryl Streep is in it. So okay. how exciting. Well, talking of, I've just got one quick one, which is Maryland with Suran Jones, our favourite. She's also written it, but it's got Stockard Channing in it. Oh, yeah. Stockard, She's been you know, on stage, though, Stockard Channing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I love it when they just pop in a legendary American actress in there. We love that. Brilliant. So I hope everybody enjoyed that little roundup. Let us know your thoughts. If you like any of those shows or podcasts, tell us what you think of them, especially that Janessary one. Yeah, we'll put all the details on the Facebook group as well. And if you can pop in the comments any that you think our audience would love to. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Today's guest is hopefully going to help you get a grip when it comes to finding your midlife style mojo. She's the British fashion designer who's dressed everyone from royals to A-listers during her 30-year career commanding the catwalk. It's time to meet Amanda Wakely OBE, whose paired back staples have formed the backbone of many women's wardrobes. After leaving school at 18, Amanda headed to New York in the 1980s, where she modelled and worked in the garment district. It was a heady start to a career that saw her launch her own label in 1990 when one of her first customers was a young Princess Diana. Since then, Beyonce, J-Lo, Scarlett Johansson, Angelina Jolie and our current Princess of Wales have worn her clothes. She's just started a new chapter in her life as a fashion writer after closing her business during COVID and also launched a podcast interviewing guests about the lives behind their looks called Style DNA. Amanda, who co-chairs Fashion Target's Breast Cancer, is a self-confessed daredevil and petrol head who once presented women and cars for ITV. She turned 60 in 2022 and decided to embark on a reinvention. 
I had a clean sheet of paper in front of me and could say, "Okay, this is hopefully the second half of my adult life. What am I going to do to make a difference? She said. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Amanda. It is great to be here. I was just laughing and saying it's <laughs> we're all in a new chapter and it's great, isn't it? It's very exciting, actually. It's a very exciting time of life for all of us. Anyway, before we get on to the new chapter, I think we're going to have to go back in time. You started your fashion business in 1990 um, and only a year after you'd started, a very young Princess Diana came in to see you. I will set the scene. I was in a tiny, tiny little atelier. And actually, it looked like I had the whole building. But in fact, I had just this tiny, tiny little flat that I made into my atelier and I had a bed in the corner. And the late, great Anna Harvey, the deputy editor of Vogue, she was advising Lady Diana, as she was then. And she said, you two would have a lot of fun together. You get on well, and I think your style would be great. And so I remember being in a bit of a blind panic because it was literally me and one other in my business at that time and lots of outworkers. And I remember thinking, okay, five to two, I'll just do a quick whiz around and make sure everything's ready for the sniffer dogs and all of that. And then I'll put my lipstick on and brush my hair and the doorbell goes. And I think, okay, great, sniffer dogs. And there is a very shy Diana sort of standing on one leg like a schoolgirl, really, and apologizing for being early. And mm. we laughed and hit it off immediately. Yes, I was very, very lucky to have that introduction and have that exposure so early on in my career. What did she buy? What, did, what was she looking for? Oh, I couldn't possibly tell you. But um, <laughs> she was looking for suits as well as I did quite a lot of her, what I would call her off-duty kit. Mm. So lots of suede and cashmere and satin, that sort of real core of what I do or did in terms of just luxe basics. They're not basic at all, but they're very luxurious sort of what I would call wardrobe staples. I think that's obviously your, your signature and that's what's made you so successful decade after decade. That kind of idea of like dressing women so that they feel powerful, comfortable and confident more than sort of being right at the forefront of trends, but just beautiful everyday pieces. And talking of confidence, we find, and we've had it ourselves, and women we talk to, midlife can be a time when you lose your confidence and you start losing your way with how to dress. I'm sure you've had many clients possibly in a similar situation. How do you advise them? We all feel that sort of, oh my God, can I wear this anymore? One of the most important things is to reach into ourselves and say, how do I want to feel in what I'm wearing? And I, I think fundamentally, if we feel comfortable, we exude confidence. And that can be, and I'm laughing about wearing a black polar neck right now, but I feel very comfortable in it. So I can forget what I'm wearing and get on with having this chat. And so I think knowing how you want to feel is fundamental. Do I need to feel empowered for this meeting I'm going to? Or do I want to look sort of understated, but empowered by my clothes for a meeting with friends or what, whatever it is. Just try and think about how you want to feel. And I always think that 
It's one thing to look in the mirror, but it's another if we take a selfie of ourselves and then look at that picture and say, okay, how does that woman look in what she's wearing? Sort of take yourself out of the equation too. So if you need a second opinion, use your own opinion in, you know, as a third party, but look at an image of you. Do you like it? Does she look appropriately dressed? Does she look confident? Does she look comfortable? In it. I, I always think you can tell by someone's body language if they're comfortable in what they're wearing or not. So, Amanda, I'm going to uh, rebuild my wardrobe, imagine, and I'm going to start doing something that I did start doing, actually, uh, in, in midlife, wearing colour, changing the way, kind of my style generally. And we get asked this uh, about from a lot of women, actually. How do I create a new look? Where, where do I start in the wardrobe? Do I Puff out all my black or, or do I just, because you wear a lot of red and you look amazing in it. Do I bring red in? How, how does a woman start to rebuild her wardrobe? I think a big old Marie Kondo clear out in the first yeah. case. Even those old favourites that we think we can still wear, pop them on, take a selfie, have a look. Do they still fit? I'm a big believer in rewear, don't care. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think be ruthless on fit. For some of us, our bodies change more than others. And for those of us whose bodies have changed a lot, be ruthless about it. Are those pants digging into the top of your hips in a really unflattering way, as in trousers or a skirt or whatever? If they are and they're unalterable, give them a new life, take them to the charity shop, resell them and move on. Don't torture yourself with, I'll keep those for a skinnier day. Because unless you're going to run the London Marathon, that skinnier day may not happen. If you believe that it will, then pack them up. Don't torture yourself with having to look at them every day. And then secondly, I'm a, a big believer in lovely wardrobe staples. So great jackets, really well-cut jeans, I think the color thing is interesting. I've definitely, says she sitting here in a black <laughs> roll back, um, I've definitely started to introduce more color into my wardrobe. Now that my life, it, it sort of requires less uniform, as it were. I mean, when I, when I was going into the studio every day, I didn't really want to think too much about my clothes. I wanted a bit of a uniform so I could pop things on in the morning in a hurry, feel good, and actually focus on the collection and the creative side of that without being distracted by wearing a lot of color myself. So the color thing is interesting in terms of what's happening with your hair and your skin tone, because as we know, that can change. Are you, are you retaining your natural color or are you allowing yourself to go into the greys, the shades of grey, and I think that certainly affects the colours that you should be putting close to your face. You know, it's the Coco Chanel thing, the pearls next to the face. It just does reflect light onto your face. The other thing I would say is buy less, buy better. You know, we're all at a stage in our lives where actually we don't need loads and loads and loads and loads of choices Perhaps unless we're complete fashion junkies, we don't need to be in the latest trend. We need to be in things that flatter us and make us feel the best version of ourselves. 
Now, we should talk about glamour because you you are very glamorous and I think you've dressed very glamorous women and the idea of sort of evening wear, a lot of, a lot of women wearing evening wear in your collections. Do you think women are changing how they want to go out in the evening, what they want to wear? I think they are changing how they want to go out in the evening, definitely. Our audience are dressing down a little bit more Cocktail dresses don't feel as cool as they did when we were 30. But yet I can feel really cool in a great tux jacket. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be a suit. You know, it can be a a pair of satin cargoes with a tux jacket over my shoulders and a T-shirt even and a piece of chunky jewellery. We've all got a lot to say, as you can tell, at our age. And we talk through our faces and our body language, and that's far more compelling than talking through some huge, great, powerful piece of clothing. And how has your body changed as you've aged? Because you've always been into fitness and you've always stayed quite fit. And I know you ski, but how has it changed? Because you're 60 now. Yeah, thanks for the reminder. I'm just (laughs) somehow 35 in my head. (laughs) That point is very important, actually. I am... Somewhere back in my 30s in my head, and I think if you think you're 60, you become it. That all sounds a bit woo-woo, doesn't it? But actually, I think it's quite important to feel youthful. If you feel youthful, you exude it. My fitness, I'm definitely much more sensitive to alcohol than I was. So I do need to be... It's annoying, isn't it? Really annoying. But then again, I, you know, I know when I am less disciplined about it, I see it immediately on my body. But actually, I think there's an element of being a little bit kinder to ourselves. We try really hard. I love to keep fit because I do think strong body or sort of fit body is fit mind. And I'm absolutely certain on that. I do know that I need to keep stretched and keep flexible and flowing Uh, And I also think good posture is an incredibly important anti-aging or aging sustainably. I think that's a nicer way of putting it. If you have the posture that we had in our 30s and you can retain that, then you look more youthful. Now, we do ask all of our guests about their experience of perimenopause and menopause because it is something that can affect uh, a lot of our listeners. Some women sail through it. But what did you learn from that life stage? Is there anything, any advice you'd like to share or experience? Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound ridiculously naive, but I had just lost my father when I started to hit the perimenopause and I didn't relate one to the other. I I really thought I was grieving and that was why I was feeling so black and that was why I couldn't sleep. And then, you know, the penny dropped and I thought, you idiot. Such a common story. (laughs) Oh my God. And I was sort of slightly in this fog of grief. And actually I was probably in a brain fog of perimenopause. And I'm so glad that people are really talking about the perimenopause and the menopause because it has been a very unsexy, untalked about thing for, you know, millennia. And actually, it's a very real thing. And, you know, it can be pretty miserable. 
And I always say to any woman that I see who may be having a hot flush or whatever, I'm the bossy one that goes up to her and says, you know, you don't have to suffer this. Your, your GP can help you. I do think as women, we should be reaching out to others who see suffering with it because, yeah. my God, it's, it's not straightforward. Now, let's talk about reinvention because your business closed during the pandemic. So that's kind of the end of a, a, a big career or a big change. And you, I mean, you wrote about missing your team and how sad you were to see the end of it. But you also wrote about something you called the gift of a pause. Um, which is something Trisha and I both found as well after the end of our careers. What is that pause and why was it a gift? I loved my work and my business and what I did. And if I hadn't have been forced to take a pause, I'm not sure I would have experienced this gift. You know, if you think way, way, way back, people used to take a sabbatical. And there was a really good reason for it, because I'm sure you guys are, were absolutely the same, worked crazy hours, and you both raised families too, which is something I haven't done. And I don't know how you did that, quite frankly. But for me, I was just so busy that I didn't have a moment for anything else in my life, you know, to the extent that actually I was being quite negligent of, of my life admin. And so having this gift, I mean, it was really forced on me. And sadly, I lost my brother at mm. around the same time. It was literally within two weeks of each other. And I found myself slightly in shock, actually. I, I knew both were coming. But when, it, when the hammer falls... Yeah, it's a living loss. It's huge. And, and so I knew I just had to take some time to reflect and sort of think about what many people call the fertile void and yes. <laughs> think, okay, what's going to really feed my soul next? Because actually I'd done what I do for 30 years and I loved it and I put everything into it. But actually I didn't want to do it all again. If, even if someone had come to me and with millions of pounds, you know, I feel like that I've learned so much and I'm now so excited about using that knowledge in different ways. How did you keep the, the grief away, as it were? How did you, pro I mean, it's still quite soon, actually, isn't it, after the death of your brother? How do you process that? What, what would you advise people to do? You know, I've always been one of those people that processed well, and I never sort of really felt the need to have any help with it. I've just sort of always stood back and, you know, whether it's when I'm exercising, you know, just thinking things through. But actually, I did find myself needing some help. And I was very, very lucky that the person that I call the guru of grief, I hope she doesn't mind me calling her that, Julia Samuel, who mm -hmm. who I I think is just the We've most... we had her on the podcast. <laughs> she is just the most awesome human being. And she just helped me unpick it and you know, basically, I realized I'd nearly been killed in the street in an attack. You know, I'd been I'd been very violently mugged a couple of years before, you know, just a lot of life stuff. You know, I don't want to call myself a victim. I am not. But actually, I hadn't really processed it because I was back in a board meeting the following morning, having been, you know, having had my life threatened the day before and then coming out of that board meeting thinking, Mm, you really do need to 
process what went on there. Then with the business, with Charlie, I just thought, actually, and in fact, it was Hugh who said to me about a month in, he said, I think maybe you need some help unpicking this. This is huge, what you've got to deal with. And I've known Julia for many, many years, and I reached out to her, and she fortunately had time to see me. She sort of allowed me to process all of these layers of grief and life changes to get me into a place where actually I was ready to launch on my own. And you mentioned Hugh, he's your partner of 17 years. You you did have a previous marriage, but you, you were together. Um, you've reached midlife together and you are childless or child-free. It's, it's not something women often talk about, but you feel quite strongly that it should be discussed and you're happy to discuss it openly. I think it, it's slightly the elephant in the room. I, I found myself writing about it on my Instagram post on Mother's Day because I found it is quite a, a sort of divisive day, Mother's Day. I've got this incredible mother who's about to turn 90 and still mothers me you know, with love and her all her heart. And I, likewise, really love and nurture her. And then at times I think, God, I won't have that son or that daughter to do the same for me. But then that was my choice. Don't feel sorry for me. I chose for whatever reasons at the time, probably because I was so invested in my work, probably because I never had that massive maternal pull to need to procreate. Lots of different reasons. But the reason I mentioned the Instagram post was I was amazed by the response to the post, by how many women came back and said, well said, this is not something that's talked about. And I do, I do actually think at some point I was having lunch with a few friends yesterday one of whom is highly successful and childless. And we got on to the childless discussion. And it is fascinating how, how much it is the elephant in the room, the, this mm. conversation, and, and how insensitively some mm. people can handle it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's ignorance. Mm. And that's just because probably us childless girls haven't, talked enough about why we've decided to do what we've done or for those girls that, that sadly don't have the choice. Mm. This is a really emotive subject. It can make people feel insecure, insufficient, less than by not being mothers. And do you so think it was more difficult in, in midlife for women because you come, all of us have to come to the end of our fertile years. We all know that's coming towards us, whether we've had children or, or been lucky enough to have children or, or not. Was there a point where you thought, because it is such a struggle in midlife, there's so many endings of things, aren't there? Was there a point where you thought, well, this is this is of, this is it. This is where we are, Hugh and I. We, we won't start a family now. I hear you. I mean, I mm. met Hugh when it would have been real last chance saloon anyhow. And he was very straight with me that you know, he already had three children and that was enough for him. And if I wanted children, then it wasn't going to be with him. Right from the very start, and I applaud him for that. And 
I would be lying if I said that I didn't take my time and have a real think about that because I found myself thinking, gosh, this is the person I really do want to spend the rest of my life with. So I, I dug deep into myself then and I have no regrets. And I do believe that there's no nirvana, that you have children and it's not perfect. You don't have children and it's not perfect. And as long as you're happy 95% of the time with that decision, then that's pretty good. And how has Hugh dealt with you being at home more? Because when Trish and I changed directions, we were suddenly at home more with uh, our husbands. So there was a slight change of, I guess it was a change of dynamic in a way. He rightly knew me so well that when I stopped working for a while, he was very keen for me to find the next chapter because he knew I wasn't going to be a lady who lunched. So he was very encouraging of me to get me back on my feet in whatever capacity that was. He's been phenomenally supportive and encouraging of, of that really thinking very laterally with me about what this next chapter holds. Because, I, you know, a massive, massive change, you know, from someone with a business, a profile, you know, to actually that's all gone. And God, I feel so lucky for that now. But at the time, it was quite shocking. Yeah, I think yeah. we both felt that as well. But I think I'm at a point now, several years on, you know, having come out of 30 years in, in publishing, where I can really look back on the best bits, like having a little highlights reel in my head yeah. and being so grateful for all that. The, the feeling of loss and everything has gone and the joy. So what, what would be on your little highlights reel? It's so funny you say that, Trish, because I have been well, sorting through my archive Mm -hmm. which has been the most lovely journey because, A, I've decided that I have got way too much. So it's time that some of these pieces had a new life or had a second life. And there's uh, some space in my wardrobe for that. <laughs> holding a little archive sale soon. <laughs> um, but... That has been so lovely because I literally have looked at every single piece and sort of held it up and memories have come back about creating the print or creating the fabric and or thinking about what I was thinking about with that collection. And so it's just been this really lovely, happy nostalgia no, no sadness. And then these lovely archive pieces of pieces worn by celebrities on the red carpet or, you know, I don't have every single one of those pieces, sadly. But actually, you know, I hope they're being enjoyed somewhere in the world and having a second life. Tell us a bit about your podcast, um, Style DNA, because you do talk a little bit about this kind of history of, of, of your lives or people's, your guests' lives in, in the clothes they wear. Who have you had on and who have you got coming on? Oh, I've had some great guests actually so far. I've I've had a cross section of musicians from Sophie Ellis Baxter to James Blunt to broadcasters like Anita Rani. Trini was just brilliant because what she doesn't need know about fashion and style and styling yourself, my God, tomes of information. 
And and then all the way through to people like Dylan Jones, you know, ex-editor of GQ for 21 years and just talking about men's style. David Furnish is coming on. It is about people's lives through their looks. Mm-hmm. And dare I say it, God, I would love it to be described as a stylistic Desert Island disc. It's, you know, it's, it's, your, it's your life through, through your looks. Oh, you've been brilliant, Amanda. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, you've been really open and honest, I think, and I think people will learn a lot from hearing your story. And I can't wait to see the next chapter for you because I think you're, you know, you've got so much out there to do. It's an exciting chapter. I never thought I'd be a writer, but actually, I'm r- loving writing columns, and I hope that's inspiring too because we're a very ignored. It's a very ignored generation this midlife generation. And, and I hope with one of my next projects that I can really address that. It's been so lovely to see you. Thank you uh, so much for your time. It's been great. Lovely to see you too. If you'd like to get in touch with Lorraine and I, there are plenty of ways that you can do it. Why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can. And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. Here we are, team, at the end of the podcast. Hopefully you're all still listening to us. We're going to go back in time, back in time again. Trish, where are we nostalgia noodling today? Well, I'm dialing up the phone. Are you? I'm on the phone. It's probably back in the 70s. Do you remember Dial-A-Disc? I don't, no, but I like the sound of it. Is it like an early Deliveroo? Well, it was like an early music streaming service, I suppose you could see. (laughs) The early Spotify Dial-A-Disc. Basically, on your phone, you could dial, I think it was the number 16, and then it would play a song from the hit parade. And that song would be played all day. So at any point you could phone it up and you might get the middle of the song and then you'd have to wait for the beginning to come back around. And it was the same song over and over and over. So you'd have to wait till your parents went out. And then you... <laughs> you couldn't choose it then. Look, I don't understand the concept. It. No, you could just... No. So if you were desperate to hear something... Yes. Well, that's... I mean, Quite that's so time-consuming. I know, it's bizarre, but it was very sort of original at the time and, uh, you know, something I love doing. And you know the one that I... I still remember phoning and listening because I was hoping it would be on, and it, it uh, and it was. It was uh, "Don't Give Up on Us, Baby" by David Soul. Do you remember? Oh, that? David Soul. Oh, yeah. Don't give up. I'm not singing now. <laughs> I nearly should, went. Should then. we duet? No, we, no, we, we can't duet. duet although I've we got are a question twinning today. Accidentally twinning. We yeah. look ridiculous if we were not twinning and it. singing. Right, I've got a quick question for you, a little test. You know you like a test. Right, Starsky and Hutch, um, David Soul was Hutch. What was Hutch's first name? This is going to make you laugh. Christopher? Kenneth. Kenneth. Kenneth Hutch. Oh, Kenneth dear. Kenneth. Oh. Ken, oh. I suppose. Ken in the cardigans. Not a sexy name, not Kenneth. No, no. no. Oh, but, well, thank you for bringing that back into my life, Trish. Yes. I have no nostalgia noodles to offer you, but I'm going to take that one away and think about a little Trish Sat on the phone, humming away, don't give up on us, baby. Yeah. 
Thank you all for listening to our podcast. Uh, please do come on the Facebook group to find out what we've been talking about, get the uh, recommendations, and do tell all your friends about us too, because we want as many women as possible to join this midlife community. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.